I'm Mark Hennick. This is So-Called Normal. Hey folks, welcome to A Little Normal, which I've decided to call these little bite-sized episodes just in the last one. Uh, we're, we're taking this opportunity in between our limited series releases of five conversations uh, with five really interesting, passionate uh, people to explore their journey uh, through treatment-resistant depression and the complex pathways that it takes to navigate not only the, the your own mental landscape inside your head, uh, but the system, the treatment system and the social systems that keep us stuck uh, very often in, in these um, illnesses and these struggles that we're experiencing. So I want to bring in Dave Trafford. He's our editor on the show, my co-producer on the show, to have a bit of a conversation about uh, Shelley, who we have coming up next week. Hi, Dave. Hello. So Shelley uh, is a fascinating person who I wanted to talk to for ages. We followed each other on social media for a long time. We've, you know, the mental health community is is a, or or I should say, the mental health advocacy community. People who do what I do is pretty small, and you bump into the same people a lot at, at uh, a lot of different types of events and advocacy type things. Uh, but I've never had the chance before this uh, to talk to her. Uh, I'm so glad I did because I'm fascinated by her. Um, not only her journey, which has been, uh, of course, challenging and, and really difficult for her, but also some of the things that she's tried, like transcranial magnetic stimulation, for example. So uh, stop there. What What is that? Because I know that came so up. TMS, and, yeah. yeah. So this is um, it, it's not, I think, a well understood, uh, a publicly well understood treatment. But essentially, you're taking uh, magnets, uh, putting them on the head and inducing a state similar to what electroconvulsive therapy does, shock therapy. Uh, but it's much, much less invasive. Now, there's a lot of stigma around ECT, around shock therapy. Uh, you know, ever since uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest and all of these uh, anti-psychiatry type advertisements of people biting their tongues and having these violent seizures, that's actually not what ECT is even like anymore. Um, uh, and, and while a last resort treatment is very effective. Anyway, that's part of what I think drives people to TMS, uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation, because it does something very similar uh, in terms of, of this idea of resetting the brain, but it does it with magnets and it does it, you can, you can drive yourself home. There's, there's not nearly as many uh, side effects like memory loss. So, and I, I'm, when she was talking about that, um, the the that reset, what effectively is happening there? Because I mean, you, you mentioned memory loss, and I would think that would be the biggest worry in in some cases, whether it's short term, long term, whether it's recovered or not. You know, I, I think this is really interesting because you hear about this idea of of a, a reset or a brain reset with a few different types of mental health treatments. We were, we were talking off mics uh, before this about magic mushrooms. And this is something I watch documentaries about mushrooms all the time. I've tried them several times. Uh, and people have... Uh, have talked about this idea that it seems to clear out the cobwebs in a way, or it seems to get things um, moving again in a different way. And it's almost this idea that we get stuck in patterns, whether neurologically or psychologically or otherwise, I don't know, uh, electrical patterns, maybe, I'm not sure, I'm not an expert in this in this area. But if we can break free of those patterns, that seems to be what helps to unlock people, to unstick people. And, and mm -hmm. maybe that's happening with treatments like TMS and, and ECT and, and even magic mushrooms. I don't know. It, get, it gives people a chance uh, to start from a clean slate. 
Yeah, you're you're, you're clearing the cash. I mean, really, and, and kind of giving some relief to what is a fairly overused uh, part of your uh, physiology. But when you look at those things, I mean, it sounds. Again, from the outside looking in, it sounds extreme when you start to describe what we're talking about. And so I can see that yeah. in many cases, um, it would take a lot of conversation or you know, um, maybe even desperation for this to even come up in a conversation. And it should, based on what you're saying, should be part of more of a normal conversation in terms of mental health uh, treatments. Well. Well, let me ask you, I mean, to what lengths, we don't usually have personal conversations on the show uh, with you, you're usually the hosting person, but but to what lengths would you go uh, if you were, or maybe you have, found yourself in a really deep suffering place for a, a long time? You know, what? to what lengths would you go to break free of that? Yeah, I, 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 and I haven't been, and I have, as I've listened to the, the individuals you've been talking to, I'm, I'm kind of putting myself there thinking, what is it that... How would I respond to it? And I would think my initial reaction would be to compartmentalize it, to try to almost ignore it. Um, mm. And and that would kind of possibly drive me deeper. Now, without having gone there, I, I'm not even sure uh, how I would be self-aware enough or to be able to step out and say, okay, enough of this. Uh, now, I know mm. that most people that you have talked to, they kind of got to that point. There's Several of them have have been in that sort of self-denial part of it. There's nothing wrong, mm. nothing wrong, and all of a sudden, boom, they hit a wall. So I think it's it's not so much what lengths would I go to, what, what depths would I have to go to before you get to that point. And I think that's what really struck me about mm. the conversation with Shelley, but others in the series as well. Well, and you know, TMS, like I said, is an, it's not an extreme uh, treatment by any means, and I think more people should probably try it. The the uh, the evidence is emerging on it for sure, but it, it seems to be fairly non-invasive. But I think it is one of those things where, you know, people, the the general advice right now, if you're struggling with your mental health, is talk to your doctor. Mm-hmm. Okay, that that's good advice, and people should do that. Um Sometimes I, uh, people are, are in for a bit of a rude awakening, though, because they talk to their doctor. And while many, many, many doctors um, and family doctors, which is who most people go to first, uh, they're getting better and they know more about mental health. But A, it's not their specialty. And B, they're still humans. So they're still subject to all the same stigmas as everybody else. In fact, research has shown that st- mental health stigma among healthcare providers is worse than other people uh, mm. for, for a variety of reasons. So I think that sometimes people go to their doctor. They don't get the experience that they were expecting, or maybe they need, or probably what they need. Uh, they leave with an antidepressant, uh, which is fine. Antidepressants worked for me um, once I eventually found the right one, which which was a long road. And we heard that, I think, too, in yeah. all five of our conversations, that nobody just got, oh, this is the medication I need, and therefore got better. That never happened, uh, and it didn't happen with me. Uh, but that said, uh, even medication alone, it doesn't work for everybody. You know, there are varying statistics, but you know, two thirds of people, but there's still a solid 30% at least of people for whom antidepressants just don't work. It doesn't matter how many they try. So then they need to try other options. Um, I think not enough people realize that there are many, many other options out there to try outside of medication. Yeah, and you, you talk about the, the that the stigma among healthcare providers. Um, they also, I mean, and as I was listening to you talk about it with the you know various five conversations, it sounded as if many of the 
doctors or the, 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 those who are providing treatment were almost learning as they were going as well. And I, uh, clearly, mm-hmm. they're, they're educated in what they're doing. But there's a little bit of learning only because no two individuals are alike and they're not experiencing their mental health challenges in the same way. You know, you and mm-hmm. I can both have a cold. Okay, we, we know how to deal with that. In this case, it, it, it really does require not only an understanding of the treatment, but the individual and how they're responding to it. So it's a far more complex uh, circumstance than, you know, putting a Band-Aid on and, and leave the room. Well, well, it is. But also, I think, you know, we actually don't know as much about mental illness, the biology of mental illness, as we think we do. Uh, and as I think the general public thinks we do. You know, we, we bandy about ideas all the time that it's a brain disorder. I mean, I guess that that's kind of true. But Everything is related to your brain, everything you experience. You can't experience anything without your brain. So, of course, mental illnesses uh, are are related to your brain. Um, But we actually aren't entirely sure how. Uh, And even now, uh, this is part of my motivation for uh, I'm doing another master's degree. I don't remember if I told you that or not. Uh, I'm doing another master's degree in neuroscience now. And part of my motivation for that uh, was that I hear people uh, just saying neuroscience all the time or the brain science of mental illness or mental health. And then they say things about serotonin and and neurons, and they clearly have no idea what they're talking about because so many people don't. So I wanted to go in and actually learn, okay, what is the research picture? What what is the science saying about, about the science of mental health and mental illness? And it turns out, uh, it's not very clear on the science side. There's been incredible advancements and, and many more exciting advancements to come. But we are just scratching the surface uh, about uh, on how the brain uh, changes and adapts to mental mm-hmm. health problems. Well, and, and again, not that we would want to be cheering for COVID, but in so many cases where we have seen uh, the response to COVID-19, it has seen this intense response particularly, for example, in finding a vaccine. You gotta wonder, considering the pressures that COVID-19 is going to put on our collective mental health, the focus that that's Mm -hmm. going to take, perhaps we are on the cusp of some of this research coming as a result of this intensity. So, you know, if, if there's anything to cheer about is that this is now being highlighted, that in fact, the research is going to be done more intensely and perhaps uh, will be accelerated. I hope so. Dave, it's always a, a pleasure to chat with you, and we, we talk a lot more often off mics than we do on mics, but uh, I look forward to, to uh, bringing you back on to talk about the next episode as well. Uh, people can subscribe to, to So-Called Normal on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Deezer, YouTube, everywhere else. Everywhere you get your podcasts, uh, you can subscribe to So-Called Normal. We're doing these uh, little normal um, quick episodes in between our limited series of five conversations. Uh, with some really fascinating guests uh, about treatment-resistant depression and and complex treatment pathways. So come back next week. I'm Mark Hennick, and this has been So-Called Normal. This episode of So-Called Normal is brought to you by an educational grant from Janssen, Inc., Mark Hennick and the producers of So-Called Normal are solely responsible for the content of the episode and the views and opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Jansen Inc. The podcast content is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition, product or treatment. 
Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have read or seen in this podcast episode. 